0: With this psalm or not, but, um, or with this psalm, with this section of Isaiah, but uh, it's about uh, stubbornness. Uh, that's a little bit in there, and uh, uh, even though I'm not focused on uh, verse 4, it does say, uh, I knew how stubborn you were, the sinews of your neck were iron. You can't get much more stiff neck than that, right? Um, so we're going to look at verses uh, 10 and 11. <clears throat> See, I have refined you, though not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Or give my glory to another. So, focus on those two verses um, and tie in some out of Romans. I just want to have a word of prayer first. Lord, Father, we do just thank you so much, Lord, that uh, we have the joy of being in your house and uh, with uh, fellow believers. Uh, Lord, uh, just pray today that uh, you bless us here, and Father, uh, just take... Uh, anything away that's not of you and uh, just make us a blessing Lord in Jesus name Amen okay uh, apparently we don't want to be refined as silver in other words the last thing that comes off in the refining process as we've talked about is gold Gold. so we want to want to invite God to keep refining until we get to gold right um, and he, he doesn't stop at silver if you will participate in the sanctification process that he's offering um, and verse 11 says I will not yield or give my glory to another God will not allow his people to take credit for what he is doing through them and that is a grace in and of itself uh, because uh, If we take a bow too quickly or too many bows, we soon get prideful. So he's so gracious that he doesn't want us to get prideful. So how does he keep us from taking credit? By graciously, continually testing and sanctifying, refining us in the furnace of affliction or the furnace of suffering, if you want to say it that way. And so we're going to talk about Suffering today and and grace and how those two are all tied together So we never end up being fully refined or perfect But we can still minister and how do we do that by God's grace? He has no perfect people to work with But graciously works with us in our imperfect state Romans 720 Paul says Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So, by grace, Paul, in his continual struggle with sin, like we all have, uh, carried on ministry without taking the glory for it. Paul prayed, take this thorn away. Remember God's answer? What was sufficient enough for him? My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. All right? So if we want God to minister strongly through us and we have to humble ourselves and admit our weakness. Romans 6.6 6 says, Our old self, or the old man we've been talking about in the new man in this sanctification process, our old self was crucified with him, Jesus, so that the body of sin might be done away with. So we should here, distinguish between position and practice. Uh, and what I mean by that is, our position is that we're dead to sin. The old man is crucified. Something's crucified, doesn't live any longer. That's the position. But in practice, we're still fighting sin. So there's two things, two parts or two things going on. Um, we're a new creation, but we're not yet perfect. Right? We can all testify to that. Okay, We're new in the Lord, but we're not yet perfect. So I talked about the war the last week or the week before. The war, if you put a finer point on what I said between uh, the new man and the old man, the war is actually to believe that sin has no dominion, that we're not at sin's mercy anymore. Okay, We don't have to let it reign in our lives. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, if someone's claims to be a Christian, they're still walking in their sin, uh, year after year after year, same sins, and we could even be gracious to say the decade after decade, uh, then you have to say, a tree shall be known by its fruit, were they ever saved in the first place. Okay. And Paul in Romans 6, 1 and 2 says, uh, should we keep sinning so that grace would increase? Paul's answering to, by no means. Right? No, doesn't uh, mince words. So the body of sin is done away with means that sin is deprived of its dominance, uh, flesh or the sin nature. I'm going to use those interchangeably uh, is killed in its dominance or in its dominion, but not in its presence. Right? Still here, still in our lives, still struggling with it. We still have flesh of the sin nature. So even though we are a new creation, we wrestle with sin. Um, at some point, read Romans 6, 6 to 14. Just going kind to of look at the first line and the last line of that. Um, it starts, as I just read, with the old self-crucified, right? And it ends in 14 with, uh, you're no longer under law, but you're under grace. So now we have this wonderful place that we're in, this land of grace that we walk in as Christians, which is a great thing. When we sin, God gives us grace, right? doesn't condemn us. <clears throat> so God's part. God works with us in his grace. We are under grace or in grace. For our part, as we continually sin less, <clears throat> continually make better choices, better meaning more godly or more righteous choices, right? more obedient choices, despite still having flesh, okay? We still have flesh, but we can make better choices. Evil desires are still there, but we don't have to choose them. Okay? I tried to add to the fact to write this James passage out. It's 50 words and two lines I have pulled this up. James 1, 13 to 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So we can't blame God gets that excuse gone, right? But each one is tempted when? When by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. So we know it comes out of our own desire. Then, after desire desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So where does sin come from? From our own desire, right? It originates in our own desire. And sin, when it's fully grown conceives to give and fully grown gives birth to death so uh, evil desire to sin to death Um, so what does making the more righteous choice entail What's what's that all about so two main things that keep coming up here in this sanctification process is humility and suffering Humility, uh, and yes, often learning the hard way, that's where the suffering comes in, the way of the cross, the furnace of affliction. Um, So humility means putting ourselves uh, second, third, fourth, whatever, uh, means willingly obeying God. And if we look at it logically, uh, the more we obey God, the more we put others, the cares and concerns of others, ahead of our own. Um, then the less chance we have of sinning, really. If you put somebody's uh, concern, really uh, try to help them as much as you can, you have less chance of sinning against them. Just logic. Um, And the second part, suffering. Where does that come in? Because this choice of putting others first doesn't come naturally. That is, it's a learned behavior. It's even counterintuitive regarding survival. Uh, it has a painful component to it, a suffering component, if you will. Uh, so that's logic. So we have to, all our logic and reason, we have to check it with the Bible all the time. I always go back to Jesus. Uh, so what about Jesus? And the most uh, logical book that we have, right? If you can read many books here. This Bible will, you can reason it all kinds of different ways, and it will always uh, come out logically. So first, he humbled himself. Okay? So we're still uh, lining up with our humility, we're claiming. And two, he gave, gave up his life on the cross. He suffered. So we have humility and suffering. It was his suffering and humility and death that granted him the title of the way, the truth, and the life. <clears throat> so what do these mean? He is the way to salvation. Uh, He is the truth, totally uncompromised, uh, and unconditional love. He is the life, because he defeated death, giving us the opportunity for life everlasting. So we are to be like him, living his way, his truth, his life. Then we must take up our cross and experience death of our flesh, of our sin nature. There are no shortcuts in your wilderness. I can't get around it. There are two main aspects uh, to our success in the wilderness. Uh, First, there's teaching, tells us what we must do to interact and cooperate with the Spirit. Everything leads back to obedience to the, the Spirit, obedience to the Spirit. So that happens through humility and suffering, as we're saying, or obedience. And the work of the Holy Spirit, the second aspect, this means walking with him through, not around, experiences that he prepares specifically for each of us. Very interesting, right? That he knows the hairs on our heads, that he specifically knows what we need in every situation. If it doesn't control our response, that's up to us. I remember Dad always saying that uh, experience is the best teacher, right, you've probably heard that. Um, so you might not be able to uh, remember last week's sermon, for example, but uh, as Gail testified years ago when the Holy Spirit uh, had, uh, you know, spoke to her, she remembers it 20 years later. So you will remember uh, what the Holy Spirit, uh, how he has guided you. Um, I thought about his guidance, his direction, and his uh, conviction. And to me, his guidance is, don't do that. His direction, uh, come this way, do this, Uh, and his conviction, stop doing that. (laughs) Stop those habits that have long been going on, right? We know ourselves, we can't avoid challenges, we cannot avoid difficulties that are going to come, right? There's no other way to have the character and treasure of the kingdom develop in our lives than for us to experience the Holy Spirit's personal experiences that He's given to us. Those things that He's prepared specifically for us, uh, if we want to grow, we have to experience and go through those. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, he also will deny us. So we think about that, and we look for a scripture that would back this scripture up, that Jesus denying us. Um, he said he would deny us if we pretend. In Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who's going to enter but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, I guess on his return or on judgment day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Many things done, being claimed to be uh, done in Jesus' name. Then I will tell them plainly, he doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't try to make it all nice. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. In other words, you never knew me. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. <clears throat> There's no way around it. right? There's no way around the experiences that the Holy Spirit has prepared for us. Um, we cannot pretend with God. If you know, you cannot plead ignorance. right? You can't say you didn't know. Knowledge is the opposite of ignorance, right? Ask yourself, if you know something doesn't line up with the Bible, and then we have to be a little bit hard on ourselves sometimes in order to grow, don't we? We have to challenge ourselves. We can't just, you know, baby ourselves all our lives. So let's ask ourselves, if we know something doesn't line up with the Bible, and we stay silent, always and every time, do you think that's always pleasing to God? Do you think your self-preservation is better or more important than standing up for Bible truth, which is the only truth. We can make excuses. I just want to keep the peace, right? You know, whatever. Uh, So what's more important, the truth, uh, going forth, or your discomfort? So we turn to the Bible and we look at James 4, 4. It says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses—remember right, our song—I choose, I choose to be holy. Okay, we're involved in this. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So there's no excuses. Choosing the world over God, there's no excuse. Okay. Um, I don't know if you've ever had this experience or not, but it um, happened to me about a month ago. Uh, people know that I speak here in this town, generally, or they generally know. And when we meet new people, I'll introduce you, Leanna, and, and I in the first little while as born-again Christians. I don't know if you do that or not, but we generally do that. And about a month ago... Um, how do I tell this without telling the person? Um, I was talking to someone, and uh, they let uh, the F-bomb drop, right, and then immediately said, oh, I'm sorry. And me, what I typically do is I'll say, um, oh, don't worry about it. Well, to me, I was convicted last week on this, and uh, when I was thinking about it, and that's agreeing with the world, really. Really. And I'm going to try, and I'll tell you if I had success. If I have success in the future, I'll come in and go, yeah, yeah, that's it. What I'm going to try to say is, thank you for respecting my beliefs. I said the line I have in my head, I'll see if I can get it out. I feel we have to prepare ourselves, right, in order to change any behavior. Um, because I think if I say thank you for respecting my beliefs, a conversation might ensue. We might talk about swearing or beliefs or something like that. Rather than, every time so far, I just said, don't worry about it, we move right on to the conversation. So, little ways that I'm agreeing with the world that I don't want to, right? That God's slowly showing me, I'll learn eventually. Keep showing me the same lesson until I get it, right? Okay, so what am I saying here? Um, you cannot serve two masters, right? Uh, the Bible says, either love the one and hate the other, right? So, you simply cannot enjoy what the world enjoys and serve God. So, if I say this more specifically, uh, the more Christ-like you become, the less you enjoy what the world offers. I grew up listening to all kinds of secular music. Used to love Pink Floyd, The Doors, all those guys, right? Just don't enjoy them anymore, you know? Just don't enjoy the novels that I used to read. Just, Just... i are love with that stuff. But if we play Christian music in the house, it's just it's a great. It's just wonderful. You know? um, so the more Christ-like you become, the less you enjoy what the world offers. Uh, secondly, the more Christ-like you become, the less alluring or enticing the world becomes. Third, the more Christ-like you become, the more you become at odds, or right, enmity with the world and its basis, the flesh. Right? I was thinking that, I don't know it's walk longer with the Lord, doesn't it seem that 99% of the world is, is so not God and not focused on God and, and even and even hates God, right? So we should be more at odds with the world, you know, as we walk with Christ. Um, and finally, the more Christ-like you become, the more you suffer. Yeah, because... It's a natural result. The irony is that suffering makes us more like Christ. And the more like Christ we become, the more we suffer. No way around it. The flesh attacks us more, if we become more like as we become more like Christ. There's no other way to produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit and therefore have fruitful ministry and to become more like Christ through obedience to the Holy Spirit and hence to suffer. Right? The more we surrender to the Holy Spirit, the more he will lead us into suffering. And therefore, the more we die to self, the flesh, and secondly, the more the Holy Spirit is alive in us. So, again, we go back and look at Jesus. We always go back to the Bible, compare, and see if we're, are we lined up here. So Jesus is our example, and he said, I do only what I see the Father do. Secondly, Jesus had his flesh completely under the authority of the Holy Spirit. I know he had no sin nature, right? But he still had free will. He could still decide, okay? You can't think of Jesus or Paul or any of Moses or any of these guys like automatons or something that, you know, couldn't decide anymore. They could still decide. Um, Three, we see in Jesus' true humility. He did nothing without the Holy Spirit's prompting. That's surrender. He had great capability, and he was totally surrendered. Fourth, Jesus was a man of suffering, or sorrows, acquainted with grief. Five, Jesus had a powerful ministry. So from these truths, we know that if we obey the Holy Spirit, we cannot fail in our ministry, because the Holy Spirit cannot fail, simply put. In John fourteen twelve, Jesus says, you will do greater things than these. What was he talking about? Referring to all his miracles and all his ministry that he had done up to that point. And then evidence of that in Luke 10, 17, it says, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Right? So there's evidence that uh, a few weeks ago we talked about David and Joseph and uh, Moses. And... uh, We've talked about trying not to excuse ourselves because these are the giants of the Bible. Well, here's 72 kind of common people whose names we don't even have. So, can we still excuse ourselves that they're so much better or so much more spiritual than us? So we have to look at our own lives and our own ministering and we have to ask, do we see any gap between our ministering and these two scriptures that... Talk about here about Jesus saying you'll be greater than me, and the seventy-two coming back and saying, "Wow, all this stuff is happening." Uh, so, if you ask yourself, um, "Do you think the Holy Spirit has changed?" If you ask yourself this and look at this gap, so do we think the Holy Spirit's changed? Um, maybe God's power has diminished. Maybe Jesus is not interceding still for us uh, to the Father. I'll quote Paul again in Romans 6-2, by no means, right? Holy Spirit has changed. God's still just as powerful. Jesus is still interceding. So if the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus are still the same today, yesterday, and forever, then what's different? I get this crazy suggestion here. (laughs) Maybe it's us. (laughs) Maybe we move. So you were running to win the race. Who cut in on you? You know, who cut in on us? What happened? Remember, sanctification is a process. It's a process offered to everyone. Okay? Like, it's a natural thing that comes out of salvation, then sanctification, you're walking with God. Right? So these experiences are offered. But only those who are willing, uh, that is, obedient participants in the process, end up growing spiritually. Everyone can grow spiritually. It's right there for you. Okay? But you are an active participant, free will, happening in the process. You are never going to fully depend on the Holy Spirit as long as the flesh can still fulfill itself in some aspects. Okay? We have to stop fulfilling our sin nature, ourselves, and turn, say, no, I can't do that, and turn to God. Put it another way, the sanctification process can strip us of anything the flesh can use to fulfill itself. It can take that all away, if you allow. Uh, The result is when the flesh cannot satisfy itself, then we learn to depend on the Holy Spirit to meet our needs. This stripping away, this pruning, remember John 15, the vine and the branches, this pruning hurts, right? Um, That's the things we suffer. That's our suffering that we go through. Um, So you no longer have the crutch, the vice. Uh, You no longer... uh, So you turn to God in your time of need, in your time of rejection, in your time of failure, which all these things come, right, in our lives. They come more than once. Um, So what happens when we accept the Holy Spirit's uh, offers? What happens when we accept the experiences? Suppose, you know, you go up here and testify and say, you know, I had this thing happen in my life, and I relied on God, and I walked through it, and I came out the other side, and I grew. You know, sometimes we do accept. When we walk in or with the Spirit, we minister life to a dead and dying world. So why are we able to minister life, and why is the world dead? Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin, wages are earnings. Okay, you made what you're earning here. Uh, for the wages of sin is death, but the other side, the gift of God, you didn't earn it. It's not wages anymore. We turn from wages to gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So. Number one, the world is still dead in sin and transgression. They earn death through sin. That's the wages they are paid, right? Um, Secondly, people who are actually born again have received a gift of life that they can pass on, okay? Lead someone to Christ. Uh, They, we, offer life, the way, the truth, and the life and the world has the opportunity to receive the gift of life or to reject it and keep earning death through sin it's always a choice the point is that life is a choice for the world at the same time growth is a choice for us right once we get alive once we get out of death and become alive then we don't stay an infant or we do right so, just to conclude, the more we suffer, the greater the vessel we are for grace. Grace takes humility or an other-centeredness, right? A focus off of ourselves. We can be most gracious to those who are suffering as we have, okay? You know, you can minister when you've had the same experience that someone else is going through. Eventually, our suffering makes us so alienated from the world and its values that we can show grace to all who are dead and dying. Remember, showing grace means teaching accountability and obedience to God, not compromising over the world's sin. If you love someone, you will not compromise on the truth because you want them to be free from the world's bondage, right? which is what sin is. And only the truth or Jesus can actually make someone free. Try all the different things, but you'll come right back to some type of bondage. It's hard to get unconditional help from the world. At the same time, we must keep the grace we've received in the forefront of our own minds, lest we get proud. We have also received grace. Okay, so we can't go out in some high and mighty thing and think we're better because we wouldn't be where we are. I mean, I had to be pursued like crazy by God. I don't know about you, but I resisted. I resisted. Luke fourteen eleven. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. A seed cannot produce another seed without first dying. Right. <clears throat> so the process begins. The seed falls to the ground. It germinates, then a small stalk, then a larger plant, then a bloom, then fruit, then seed. It's a process, right? So the process um, is a process of growing toward fruitfulness. Likewise, God sanctifies us so we will be fruitful ministers of the gospel. That's what we're trying, that's our fruit, right? Telling others about this wonderful life that we have. No matter what we gain in Christ, it never means we've arrived or that now we can stop. You can choose to get off the sanctification process any time you want, right? but it's better if we don't go through the hard stuff. Sanctification only gives us the opportunity to live for God, but the choice to live for God is ours every day. Matthew 22.14 Many are invited, but few are chosen. So, will we move from the invite to be in the chosen? So, we can, if we fully surrender to the Holy Spirit, then we move from invite to chosen. Praise God. Thank you.